She took the world by storm when at age 17, she was cast as the lead of the hit musical, Miss Saigon. Since then, she's won a Tony and provided the singing voice for the princesses in Disney's Aladdin and Mulan. Celebrated international singer and actress, Lea Salanga. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This is One on One. Lea Salanga, the star of Miss Saigon. Hi. Thank you for coming. Sure, absolutely. So a lot of people know you as this amazing star. You had the lead role in Miss Saigon playing right. Kim, the original production out of London and then in New York. Right. But probably people don't know that you, even before you got to Miss Saigon, you were a pretty big star in Manila. <laughs> you had like, you had recorded records, you had been in yeah. The King and I, you had been I'd done on some film and some TV and yeah. I grew up, I think, pretty much in the eyes of many Filipino, um, many Filipinos. A lot of them have seen me um, from when I was really little doing you know, musical theater um, and then eventually doing TV and then doing film and doing records. Back then we were doing records and yeah, um, yeah and, and people pretty much saw me grow up. I grew up in the public eye. so. In the Philippines, it's like, oh, I remember seeing you when you were nine and Annie and, you know, and, and so, yeah, it, it's, it, it was a life that not a lot of people in the U.S. or in London were aware of at the time that I was so, in Miss Saigon. So then you hear about, this is 1989. Mm-hmm. And what, does your agent say, look, they're going to start casting for this show called Miss Saigon? What did you know well, about? Well, actually, uh, the auditions were in 1988, which was a year earlier. And I was in the Philippines, I was in college. I was a pre-med major. I was a biology major in college. And there was a singer's union in the Philippines called OPM. And the president of the union called my mother and said that there were these auditions coming up for this show, which was going to open in London. Um, and so my mom was really skeptical. Because your mom plays a major yes, role. Yes, you know, in your she life. manages me when, you know, in the Philippines, and of course she's a mom, so she, her instincts were like, I don't know about these people because what if they're the, these fly-by-night producer types that take advantage of these young girls and then leave the country and whatnot, and it happens in, in the Philippines. So my mom was a little hesitant to let me audition, and then, then the, the, the president of the union said, no, 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 these guys are the real thing. They're produced Cats and Les Miserables and Phantom of the Opera, and... Um, you, there's nothing you need to worry about. And you, know? you were so thinking... I was 17, and I'm thinking, I've just planned 13 years of my life um, for college and med school and all that, and in my head... It's so like, you were kind of done with I was the... Not so much that I was done. I mean, I, I knew that I was probably always going to be singing, but certainly not as actively as I was up until that point because my academics came first for me. So, um, so I... I Said, okay, well, why not? I don't, I don't have the job yet. Why not audition? Give it a try, and then if I do get it, then we'll think about what to do. Next. And they, they came to Manila. They came to Manila. They actually started searching in London, and they went to New York, Los Angeles, Honolulu, um, and then when they landed in Manila, they flew in. I think a couple of people out of Hong Kong um, to to see the producers. Um, and is that but, like like that kind of international search? Is that common? I think it depends. I think if they're able to find somebody in the city that they're first looking, um, then I don't think that they would have needed to go all the way to the Philippines to, to search 
for for the lead of and this And did you know at that show. point did you know at that point that there had been like a search that they had auditioned No. I was not aware of which probably made of, it of easier. how exhaustive the search had been previous to their arrival in Manila. I had no idea. It's probably better that I didn't have any idea that I, that I didn't really have the bigger picture of who these people were. And I knew that they had created Les Miserables and, and, and that Cameron had produced all these other shows, but I, it didn't really occur to me and I had really had no idea how big of a deal these shows actually were. Because you hadn't been to Broadway in New York. I had, I had never been in New York. And the last time I was in London, I was maybe 11 or 12, and I had seen Evita, but still, you know, it, it, it didn't dawn on me that there were multi-million dollar productions in London and in New York, and, um, and you, walk you know, in and, and you, you know <laughs> what, we, we knew what Broadway was, kind of was, but it still didn't occur to me how huge it actually was. And I'm really grateful that it didn't really hit me. Um, at the audition. So you go into but this yeah, audition? Yeah, so I go into the audition, I'm prepared. Um, I had prepared on my own from Les Mis. I figured I'll do also a Bublil and Schoenberg song just because Bublil and Schoenberg are in front of me, right? And after I was done, they asked for another song and I hadn't prepared another song. So. And did you think you had done like, well? Did you? I think I did done well enough for them to actually ask for more than just one number. So I said, well, well I, I do have another song. It's <laughs> The Greatest Love of All by Whitney Houston. And so I went up to the piano, and I asked the pianist if he knew the song. But I think before I even finished the question, I saw on top of the piano, somebody had left behind The Greatest Love of All oh on top of the God. piano. And so I told the pianist, oh, can you just play this for me? And he did, and I was praying while I was standing on the X on the floor, like, please let it be in my key, please let it be in my key. Because you can't ask. And it was. You, you can't say, I need it to be in such and such. A At the time, I don't think I was as knowledgeable with regards to, I need this in the key of B flat, please. And he played it, and I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> this was meant to be. And, and so I sang it, and they asked me a few questions at the audition, like, what was, what was the, you know, what is the biggest audience that you've ever performed for? What size? And I'm like, well, I just finished um, doing the opening act for Stevie Wonder, and there were at least 10,000 people there. I don't know, it was dark or whatever, and, <laughs> and they were all just and laughing you, at me, and like, why are they laughing and at you me? And you had also opened for Menudo, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> Menudo in Manila. Yeah, and they were huge. The opening act. They were huge. Everybody my age and maybe a few years older or younger will remember who they are. That's like the original boy band. And they were huge, so huge, and they were beautiful and so Did you nice. Meet, so you, you met Ricky Martin. I got Martin? to, of course, I got to meet Ricky Martin, and I remember him being really, just really sweet and adorable. He grew up to be really handsome, and and he was really, really great looking even back then when he was like so thirteen. Did, did these guys know, kind of? when they saw you, who you were, the fact that you had this background, or um, did they just think, wow, at we the have time, just discovered like an amazing talent here? Um, at the time, I don't think they really knew how experienced I was and, and how trained I was um, until I gave them my resume, which was probably 10 pages long. <laughs> it's like, here, this is what I've done. And then at that point, how much time between that audition to the time that they actually offered you the lead as Kim? Well, the audition was, I think, sometime in November. And then a little bit after that, they brought me over to London for what they called final assessments. So I was actually on the stage, 
at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Forty Second Street was playing at the time, um, so I was on that on that stage, and I got to sing, and I got to meet the guy who eventually became my leading man in the show, um, as well as one other cast member who, on the spot, was offered the role right there, and so I got to see that and his excitement and everything, wow. and so that was exciting for me to be able to witness that. Um, so um, it it was. It was incredibly exciting heading over there. And so after final assessments, I think on the last day, they took us for like a photo shoot. And I'm like, what is this for? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what this is for. And I think at the time they hadn't made their final decisions as to what my casting did situation you, did, was gonna be. Did you want it? Were you like, oh my Actually, God. Actually, you know what, no. It's not that I didn't want it, but I didn't want it I think as badly as I would have wanted it if I had auditioned maybe five years later when I was a little more aware of who these people were, or if I was an actor in New York City. So, that so I didn't really want it that badly. And maybe that aloofness worked in my favor, and you know, it, it kept the nerves at bay, I think. And then I when think, they finally yeah. said to you. And I actually found out by looking at my picture on the cover of a Sunday magazine in the UK. You're somebody kidding. Somebody sent me a copy of, of this magazine, um, of the Daily Mail. It's called You, Y-O-U. And I think, I don't know if we got a phone call or what, but somebody said, you are on the cover of the Sunday magazine called You. You're on the cover. And I'm like, what? And there was a huge article um, in the magazine regarding the search and how they found me and everything. And I'm like, no. What? <laughs> I think up uh, until uh, up until then it was like you are definitely cast in the show, but we're not sure what's happening. <laughs> oh my god! So I was like, okay, so whatever. You do, you okay, do, whatever was my response. You do the show um, in London for about two years. I did it for a year and three months. Year and three months. And then months. I headed to Manila to spend the holidays, and I had concerts in the Philippines. And I was in Manila for about a month, a month and a half, when I got the call that I was going to Broadway. Now, the thing about Miss Saigon on Broadway is that it was incredibly controversial. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people, oh, if, they, yeah. if they haven't seen Miss Saigon, right. what they know is Miss Saigon controversy. The controversy was around the casting of Jonathan Price right. to play the lead. Yeah, Vietnamese. we were feeling the controversy in London too because he and I were both still in the show as it was running. In, in the UK, we were both still in the original company. Um, I think when the casting announcement was made, there was a big uproar in New York City, and Cameron then said that he was going to cancel the show. And if just he so wasn't people cast. remember, so the uproar was about the fact that they were casting a Caucasian actor to play a Eurasian part. And then, in terms of your controversy, in terms of my controversy, it was it, it was kind of the opposite because. It was an Asian part, and I was an Asian actor, but I wasn't an American citizen. And they so it's tried like, to. Uh, so that was, the, yeah. So there was actually arbitration that went. That the, it's went. amazing. People kind of forget, but you were actually, your the fact that you weren't an American citizen. Yeah. Was questioned. It was questioned. The fact that were you enough of an international star right. to merit the role? Right. I mean, that must have just. What were you thinking? Here you are, 19 years old, and you're thinking, wait a second, I just want to, I just want to act or sing and you've got well I mean I was I'm, I'm, I'm a very pragmatic person and Cameron was very 
you know, upfront about the entire process. It's like, we've just been through this with Jonathan. We don't know if we're going to be successful in bringing you over. And I told him, and I, he called me in for a meeting in his office, and I'm like, you know what? For everything that you've done for me up until this point, I'm extremely grateful. So I was already making plans to stay in the UK, to start drama school in the UK, because the drama schools over there are really good. So I was really kind of moving on with my life, f moving forward, regardless of whatever was going to happen. I was not going to put all my eggs in the Broadway basket, you know? It was you either. ultimately did, they, they did, you know, I yeah. guess it was Actors Equity that basically had to make a decision to allow you to perform. Right. But opening night, there were picketers, there were there protesters. There were picketers throughout previews, too. I mean, during and, one and of the preview performances, there were picketers that came in into the balcony and... So we were doing this, we were on stage already, we were doing, the, we were doing a preview performance, and then we just hear the screaming at, in the balcony, and I'm thinking, I'm looking up going, what's going on up there? Because <laughs> the show We're must... trying to do a show, you know? <laughs> you know, give us a little respect. People were also very upset about the fact that Miss Saigon, you know, the terms that would be used now would be to say, well, it was a show that was looking at the forced trafficking of women yeah. in Vietnam mm -hmm. who were forced to become sexual objects exactly. against their will. Right. And, you know, this whole drama is made around them, and there's a love story. But do you think that, that the show would exist today? Um, I don't know. I think it would have been... I think it would have still been able to exist because then it would really shine a light on how ugly this kind of situation is. And, you know, a lot of the protest at the time was, you're denigrating women! Making them up, but we have to think of it in context. This is 1975. We're not portraying women as they are in 1991, which was when the show opened uh, on Broadway. This is 1975, and everything is pretty much going to hell yeah. in Saigon, and everybody's pretty much grasping. And you know, there's a, there's an expression in the Philippines where we say "kumakapit sa patalim," which Literally translated as you, you are hanging on to the blade of a knife to survive. And which means that you'll basically do whatever you need to and do anything, no matter how um, denigrating or terrible, just to survive. And so within the dialogue of the show, a lot of the ablas were, gee, I get me out, please get me a visa, get me a passport, please I'll marry you. Because this, this is when the, the United yeah. States is pulling out of Saigon. Exactly. And moment. so the GIs just really want to be there for the sex. Um, before, the, And they know they're all getting out. And the women are trying to hook themselves onto one of these men to get out of what they know will be a very terrible situation. If once the Americans are gone and the communists take over. When you stand back now and you look at the experience of what happened, the controversy around Miss Saigon, do you think that things have gotten better for Asian actors? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Um, that there's certainly more of more Asian actors who are working actively in shows. Um, that blind casting does exist. That um, so blind casting basically it, it's like it doesn't matter if you're whatever race. You if think, you've got the goods, then you'll get cast. Do you think it really, blind casting really exists? It can exist. It um, can, but, it can, but not across the board. Not across the board. For example, um, have you seen Billy Elliot, for example? Blind casting must exist for that role, for that lead role. Right. Because it's so hard to find a boy who can do all those things with having that skill set. And to restrict it to a certain ethnic group is... 
you know, it's, you're just basically centering on, okay, he has to be white to play this role, when there are so many other talented kids who could very well do it. So I think they opened that role to whomever could play it realistically. Um, and no one, does, no one even looks twice. So there's been progress made. I'd like to think so. I'd like to, I'd like to think so. I mean, the last production on Broadway that I was in was Les Mis. And the very first production, you pretty much had to be pasty white to be in the show. I went into the show and... Did you have to audition for that as well? No, I didn't have to. They just, hey, they they said, just a phone they just call? Said, uh, do you want to do it? And I'm like, sure, I'd love to play Ebony. Wow. And then when they asked me to play Fontaine for the revival, I, I went in to replace Daphne Rubin Vega. Oh. So it's like, I'm replacing an, a, another... She's Dominican. She's, you know... Dominican, and, yeah. So Latina. the cast actually was made up of... We had a black Javert, there was... Um, the ca the cast was just so diverse. It was crazy diverse, but it never centered on just how diverse everyone was. It was just a here's a story, and these are the people that we have chosen to tell the story and to tell it well. Do you think that now there are more Asian American producers who are saying, "Okay, I need to step"? I mean, what about you? Couldn't well, you? Well, I actually just Could did a reading in New York City uh, yesterday, and it's it's a sh it's a show called Allegiance. And the subject matter of the show is Japanese internment in World War II. So the cast, I mean, it's obviously this, this is not open to blind casting because you have to be Asians right. to play Japanese and there has to be um, either white or black to play the Americans. And so it's, it's very specific. Um, Are you going to get the role? I, I, I read for the, <laughs> I'm, I was playing the lead in the thing. So hopefully I, I continue on with the process of developing developing the show. And it's, it's currently con in consistent development. And I did a reading in LA last year, and we did the reading in New York City. Um, and this is a show where um, the Asians and the Asian Americans in the show are not necessarily portrayed as villains. There are villains, there's the good guys, and there's the villains, or what is perceived as the villain. Because um, stereotypically, a lot of Asian actors in a lot of American shows would be maybe the triad leaders mm. or gang leaders mm -hmm. or, or what, but with this, the romantic lead is Asian, the romantic lead, the leading lady is Asian, and but George Takei is the, the lead what guy. What I love like, is the on. fact that you are here, this international stars, because your, your music, you've like, what, gone multi-platinum on who knows how many records, right. <laughs> but you still have to go in sometimes and read for a part. Yeah, right. You Absolutely. still have to do that. Yeah, and and people might not know this because oh, you know, have to audition. you know, people don't necessarily. I always watch all of the credits on everything, and especially because I have kids. I, whenever I go see anything animated, I want to see who did the voices. Right. You did the the singing voice for the for Princess Jasmine in, and for Mulan. Yeah. In in, in Aladdin and then Mulan. Yeah. What it was freak, that? It still freaks kids out. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I actually went to visit one of my friends in Billy Elliot, and so one of the kids who played Billy. Um, who I had seen in the show, he said hi because I'd met him a couple days before when he played the sh when he played the role, and I've got a Tony Award, I've got all of these credits, and so he asked me, so what do you do? And then so I listed my Broadway credits. I've done Les Misérables, and I did Miss Saigon, and I won a Tony Award for it. It just eyes glazed over and right over the head. It's like, what else have you done? Very seriously looking at me. And <laughs> so I looked at my friend who, who I had worked with in Les Mis and we're looking at each other it's like, well, I did the voices of Princess Jasmine in Aladdin and Mulan. I got the, big, the biggest freak out that I have ever seen. You mean they started A jumping kid. up and down like, no way! And I'm like, 
it's amazing what pop culture and film will, you know, how it influences kids. So it's just so it was just so funny. It made my night. It really, really did. What are you thinking about what comes next? I mean, do you think, look, I, I could be producing, I could be directing, I could, I mean, wh what's your dream? For me, I kind of want to coach, um, to, to teach and to, to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with, with people. I've done it for a couple of people back home in the Philippines, and I found that to be extremely rewarding because in, in, in a very strange way, it keeps fueling my own desires to perform. Um, when I'm able to see somebody that I've kind of helped along on stage, you know, oh yes, I remember teaching that person that. I remember teaching this person this, and then yes, that dance step is looking great. Yes, that's looking great. It makes me feel really good, and it and makes me want to get back up there again too. Doesn't feel like any kind of competitive issue for you here. No, not at all. I mean, the more back home, of course, we see the more the manier, and the more <laughs> the merrier, truly. And you know, the more performers that we are able to encourage to love the theater and love doing musical theater, it's. It's best for it's great for everybody, you know. I'm not selfish with with my gifts and with what I've done and what I may be able to impart to somebody else. Because, you know, I've got to pay it forward and pass it along. Because I've had some really wonderful teachers, to whom I'm I will always and forever be grateful. So, to be able to do that for someone else, well, you know, is 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 pretty fantastic. And I had a great time. All right. So tell us the one role that you're saying. Wow. If I really could just get that role. Right. What would be that role? There are actually that... a couple. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we there's got just, one minute, so tell us. Um, I'd love to do Ava Perón in Evita. I'd love to play Elphaba in Wicked. And I'm actually going to get to play a dream role, not my own dream role, but dream role of a lot of people. I'm getting to play Grizabella in Cats in July in the Philippines. So wow. I'm looking forward to that, too. All right. Well, Lea Salonga, congratulations. Thank you. And we'll look out for you. Thanks Thank so you much. Thank you so much. Continue the conversation at wgbh.org slash one-on-one. -on -one.